Our text now, Psalms 100, verses 1 and 2. We preach verses 3 through 5 this morning. Now, th- this evening, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And my water was missing from up here tonight. So I'm preaching on stealing. Um, <laughs> okay. That makes me have to labor longer, so it takes a whole lot longer in my sermon because I don't get that water in there. <laughs> okay. Psalms 100, verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness, and come before his presence with singing. And by the way, let me just say on that, uh, just not when it's convenient. Okay, not just when it's convenient. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray as we delve into your word tonight, that thy spirit would just guide it, direct it, but especially, Lord, empower the word as it goes forth from my lips, that it may do a special work in each person's heart for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. At Thanksgiving, and then followed by Christmas and the New Year's Day, uh, we'll find that there's a constant flow of food and desserts that we all like. And the very days themselves, the men seem to relax, whereas the ladies do all this work in preparing a great meal. So it's not an off day for them, but it's good to have the family around. And, and there's Thanksgiving and Christmas. We have those days that we look forward to. And yet those days are about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not wrong. In, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, they had feast days. And, and those were feast days were times of rejoicing and, and times they had together. And they enjoyed the time. And yet they had time that they also set aside in praise and honor of the Lord in that. And so all of that was designed by God for them. So I, when I look at Thanksgiving, I look at uh, Christmas, uh, sometimes we say, well, nobody gives thanks, nobody cares for Christmas. And uh, that's not entirely true, or shouldn't be entirely true among Christians as it is the world. We should not expect the world to enjoy Christmas when they don't have the Christ of Christmas in their heart. How can they give thanks to one that they have not received salvation from when they have not sought him for salvation? Now, yet when we do thank him, how insufficiently is he thanked? And what about Christmas time? How little are the gifts that are given him if there's anything given him at, at all? And, and we say it's his birthday that we're celebrating, but we don't give him anything. Well, he ought to be just satisfied with, with the tithe and offering. That ought to be enough. You know, well, sure. You know, don't buy your kids anything for Christmas. They ought to be just satisfied that you're feeding them and giving them a place to sleep. That goes over big, doesn't it? So let, let's learn to honor Jesus Christ as he ought to be honored. Now, I think of some verses both presently and in the future that are very important. I, I quoted from Romans 8, 28 and 29 this morning. And we know. If you know, then it's by faith that you know this, okay? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the cold according to his purpose. Now, when you're going through something, you're wondering, how in the world is this working for good? But by faith, we know that. But he goes on 
It says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, I tell you what, uh, we go through some things, but they're conforming us to the image of his son. They're preparing us for eternity. And so what a great thing to think about in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, looking ahead. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now, Revelation 21 is after the thousand-year millennial reign. It's after Christ has come back and he has cast uh, from the white throne judgment those into the eternal lake of fire. And now the eternal kingdom is set up. And then he says, and all tears shall be wiped from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. You know, sometimes we think the pain is just the physical things, but sometimes it's the pain of heart. But whatever it is, the former things are passed away. Look, we've got a great hope ahead of us. We have a sure hope ahead of us. We've got much for which to be thankful, and for that you can be thankful in faith. You either take God at his word or you don't, okay? And that's what it comes down to. And so it's a very special thing to hear Because it's the basis of hope. Now, the first thing I want you to see from our text is that there is a command here. And the command says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. So often we just look at things in Psalms for Israel. He said, all ye lands. That's for everybody. All ye lands. There's one city in America that wants to remove the Thanksgiving name. (laughs) They don't want to uh, remove the time off. Just the name. You know, I I say, well, that's interesting. You want the time off, but you don't want to have the name there for which that time was originally given. Uh, But there is a concerted effort against God as Satan is gaining strongholds in our country. And he is gaining strongholds in our country. Um, Oh, there's the water. So you're the one that stole it. You got under conviction. Praise God. And he came forward with it. All right. <laughs> All right. I hope that's Aquafina, not Dasani. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, but nonetheless, at Thanksgiving time, here we are, people making this concerted effort against it. And, and, and against Thanksgiving. In this land that Satan is great, gaining strongholds, a land that was, that its constitution, its very constitution was based on the teachings of the Word of God. Now that's the truth. Whether people like it or not, this constitution of the United States was based on the Word of God. It was, by the way, it was built on principles of God's Word. It's not a living document that changes with time. Men want you to think that, but it's actually, it was a document of, of biblical principles that are good for all times because God's word doesn't change. So it's always good for all time. But now the, as we look to this, we see that the teaching is to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. I looked up that word for the definition for the term noise. And uh, 
Men, no, be nice. It's not a ladies' meeting, okay. Uh, it was all right for you to smile, okay. All right, you didn't think it was funny? Oh, that was funny? You didn't smile. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, but anyway, it is meant to raise a sound or a noise by <clears throat> shouting or with an instrument. That noise could be like watching an old John Wayne movie. You know, the things are looking bleak. The Indians are all gathering around. They're about to win a war against them and get their scalps and everything. Then suddenly, one hears the sound charged from the bugler. That bugler's coming and everybody on the battlefield is happy now because they hear that sound. They know the army is coming and they're going to be delivered. And everyone says, that's good for us. Except the lady that's one one thousandth an Indian. Okay, Pocahontas. Uh, we see here two specific instructions, though, about the word noise. First of all, it must be joyful. Years ago, and I'm talking back about back in the 60s, I was at a Christian college. The team, after every game, would sing Victory in Jesus. That was the team song, Victory in Jesus. Whether they won the game or lost the game, they would sing Victory in Jesus. If they were playing a secular college, they would actually, instead of going in at halftime and doing strategy, whether they were ahead or behind, they'd go through the crowd and witness. So that was the kind of a Christian basketball team they had back in that day in the Christian college. But one day... They were playing a home game against another Christian college, which was their arch rival. And they lost the game. I mean, it was a close one, but at the last minute, they lost the game. And you could see that the players were down. You could see because it's a home game, the home crowd was down. And someone started singing Victory in Jesus, and then the people joined in singing Victory in Jesus. When it was done, I asked, who died? Because, I mean, it sounded very sad. It didn't sound like a victory song, okay? It, it sounded so sad, and some of them were crying and things like that after the loss. But uh, they they sang that, and uh, as I thought about it, I said, well, you know what? That's nice that we sang it, but we ought to mean it when we sing it, you know? And uh, uh, especially if you just lost the game, you've got to get victory in something. And so they they, they had just lost the game. And they're singing victory in Jesus, but they're singing it like somebody has died. As witnesses, that very day, I thought, how do you find joy in something that you've had your heart set on that was something big and you lost? But then that takes us back to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now understand, when Jesus was on the cross, he despised it, the Bible says. He despised it. He was didn't like the shame at all but for the joy that was set before him. He could endure it. 
He could do it all because there was joy. And that joy was victory. And that was glory because he was dying for our sin and sitting down at the throne of God when it was all over tells us it was a victory what to man looked like a defeat. The thief was dying on the cross beside him. And Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That was victory even on the cross. That was victory. It may have seemed like a joy for Satan. But actually, the cross sealed the devil's fate. Have you ever given thought to what the Bible says about the crucifixion of Jesus? About the prophecies in the Old Testament about him? You know, the only thing that had to happen for Satan to be victorious at the cross was just to break the little pinky finger of Jesus. Just break that little finger because the bone of him shall not be broken. If they had broken the, just a little pinky finger, Satan has the victory. But even in his humanities, principalities and powers and authorities are subject unto him. And the victory was in Jesus that very day. And he was the perfect Lamb of God who obtained our, uh, our redemption because not a bone of him was broken. He did that for us. Is it any wonder that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, for us to not sing with a holy joy in our heart. We see the Apostle Paul, as the Spirit of God gives him each word to write, and the words that he's writing is regarding to his own life and really his own experience, because if you read in chapter 11, five times he was beaten with a whip, received 39 stripes. Three times he was beaten in rods, with rods, and that was that was pretty bad. That, that broke bones usually. He was a night and a day in the deep. He was He was in prisons often. And their prisons were not like our jails today. He was in perils among thieves, perils among robbers. And, and it goes on to talk about all the perils. And then besides that, all the churches and all the opposition that he had. He had that all upon him. And so he says in verses 7 through 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Unless I should be exalted above measure. Now, how could he go through all that suffering and be exalted above measure? Well, he had had a lot of great revelations of Christ that they far exceeded any other suffering he might have had. And he says, though I should be exalted above measure, the abundance, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now think about that. People, a lot of times when they preach, they talk about, well, he had this eye problem. It was a terrible thing, and he, he probably did. There's a lot of vindications that he did. But the Bible here is telling us that however it was, it was the messenger. It was an actual demon of Satan that was buffeting him. The messenger of Satan. Look, demons cannot indwell you, but they can oppress you. They can attack you. Look at Job. He was filled with, with boils from head to toe. Somehow or another, the, the devil had to get inside 
his body to make boils break out all over his body. But he could not get inside his spirit. Satan can get inside, but he cannot get in your new nature. So understand, there still is victory in Jesus. And you just listen for his voice. He says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice. In other words, three times for it to depart from me. I mean, this must have really been bad after being through all that he's been through, that this thing of this messenger of the devil buffeting him, that he would pray three different times. And I believe the idea is there that he really sought the Lord on this. And God's answer is, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. That tells him something. As great as that suffering was that he was having to endure, that we'd say, boy, nobody should have to suffer that. Nobody should have to endure that. As great as he was enduring, when he goes to God, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient. Wow. And if he allows that the grace, he finds the grace is sufficient, and he does, for he says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, most gladly, therefore, Will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me? He says, look, these troubles are great, but I just turned it all over to the Lord. And he didn't remove the troubles, but his power was in me so great that I would not have had that had he taken those things away. Wow. He goes on and says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I don't know if I've ever done that, taking a pleasure in infirmity. But he says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, sometimes there are things that we need to hear that we don't want to hear. A lot of times we don't want to hear a no to our prayer. But if we do get a no to our prayer, you've got to have faith in God that he meant it for your good and is conforming you to the image of Christ. And therefore, the noise that we make unto him can be a joyful noise. It can only be joyful if by faith you believe it. You believe it, taking God at his word. And his word is always right. It must be a joyful noise, but not only a joyful noise, it must be unto the Lord. We may sing a song like, a mighty fortress is our God. But sing it like it's a funeral song. Instead of a victorious song of praise. The voice should express the words in the manner in which they are given. You see, long faces aren't faces that show confidence in the Lord. Because of who he is and for the joy that is also set before us who are in Christ, we can sing with joy. Look, for the joy set for him, he endured. The promises of God are so sure for us. 
for that joy, just as we read in Revelation 21, 4, those former things passed away, we can endure in his strength. And, oh, what a difference. Jesus Christ on the cross, when he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was crying that out because there would be no help for him at that point. Before, in the wilderness, angels ministered to him. In the garden, angels ministered to him. But now, even the Father cannot minister to him. He must take all the outpoured wrath of God upon my sin and your sin without any grace. (laughs) But if we go through troubles, we can turn and have the fullness of the grace of God. What a special blessing that is. A joyful noise unto the Lord. And I wonder Does he really hear from us? A joyful noise is unto God, and our God is a holy God. Therefore, our joy that he hears from us should be holy, should be acceptable in his sight. We can sing loud and joyful, or we can sing very slow, and solemn, quietly. The thing is, number one, the message of the song, and does it interpret the song? For an example, Easter time, it's a really good song to sing all year long, but Easter time we sing Up from the Grave He Arose. You see the difference in that song? Lo, in the grave he lay. Jesus, my Savior, waiting the coming day. Jesus, my Lord. I wasn't in pain, but I was singing, okay? But now, what I'm saying is that that was slow, that was solemn. Okay? But slow and solemn interprets what was just said. Low in the gravy lay. But then the rest of the song... Up from the grave he arose. Okay? I mean, we sing that with a loud song and we sing it with victory in our voice. Why? Because our Savior rose from the dead. Up from the grave he arose. With a mighty triumph over his foe. He arose the victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever. With his saints to reign. So yeah, the song changes. But... Notice this, you don't have to sing rock and roll to be loud. It can be loud, it can be joyful, it can be soft, and it can be solemn. But it must always be holy, for the Lord our God is holy. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Not in flesh. Not in a central nature that appeals more to our foot than to our heart. When we get to that point, we're pleasing the world, not the Lord. And we've got to decide, who am I worshiping? If it pleases the world, I'm worshiping the world system. If it pleases God, I'm worshiping God. When I stand before him, which one do you think is going to be acceptable to him? And so, whether music, whether it speeds up, slows down, the the music itself should reflect the message of the song. 
And, and, and there you have two different things in one song in, in Up From The Grave He Arose. It should reflect that. I, I like it when, when soloists get up here. When I first come to the church here, everybody sang with background music. You know, we call it canned music, I think, back then or whatever they called it, but they had a name for it. But uh, whatever it's called, that's what they used. Some of it, I thought, pull the plug. Others of it, I said, it's, co- it's covering a multitude of sins in their singing. Um, but really, whether it was good, solid music or something that might have been just a little bit on the edge, what I found was, was the music was directing the singer instead of the singer being followed by the music. So therefore, the singer could not interpret the message. He could not interpret the message. And if we don't interpret the, have the message of God interpreted, then all we've been is entertained. How can that be a joyful noise? That can only be a fleshly noise that, that appeals to the flesh. So our goal is not to please men by giving them what their flesh desires to make them feel good and, and, fit with society, rather is to worship the high and holy God. The one who created us. The one who saved us. Each of us should have the attitude of, if I give him praise that pleases him, then my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. That's a question to ask myself. Does it fulfill me, because I have pleased him. So we ask ourselves, did you hear that? Did you hear that sound? The sound of it pleasing God. So that it fills your inner man spiritually. Instead of the soulish man. That finds that his body is taken over by the sound of the music, whether it's to stomp the feet, to bounce up and down, or dance, or whatever. Instead of the music taking over his body, the music takes over his spirit. It gives praise to God. That makes it right. You know, I could care less about jewelry, uh, beautiful dresses at a clothing store, but I believe my wife would love that. It adorns her. It gives her pleasure. And because of that, then I'm very happy when I buy something for her like that because that's the love of my heart among humanity. And if she is pleased, and that is a joy and a fulfillment that's worth far more than the price that I paid at the five and dime. And... um But I'm saying that it is worth it for the joy, the fulfillment that I get for making her happy. Okay, that is the joy that we should have in Jesus Christ, even greater. So not only do we see the command in verse 1 to make a joyful noise unto the Lord all your lands, but next uh, we see a command, We after the command we see a call in verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness, that's a call. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. 
if you have a, if you're saved, you do have a call. And your call is to serve the Lord, to serve Him with gladness. Is that really important to serve God? Is that really important to Him, how we serve Him? I mean, just think, what if we just say, well, you know what? I've done what He's told me to do. You ought to be happy with that. That ought to be fine. You know, I got the work done, so what, you know? But is that the attitude and desire of your heart? See, you can do the work very well and yet not serve the Lord with gladness. Let me give you a good example of that with just one passage. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 47-48. We usually don't read this verse in a church service, okay? But I think it's very apropos here at this time. It says, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. Is it important to God that we hear that? <laughs> Sounds like it, doesn't it? Israel, they continued the religious services, you might say, if we want to call them religious services. I mean, the things that God had commanded. But they wanted to put a flavor of the world into it because that's what everybody else was doing. It made them feel good. Well, what happened? Well, they went to 70 years of captivity because... They corrupted the holy worship of God. God brought them back. For a while they did all right, and then they got so far away that the next time they're gone for 2,000 years. Serve the Lord with gladness. Have a heart for God instead of a heart for the world that wants to please the world instead of pleasing God. Have a heart for God. The word serve has the idea in it of toil, work, even to the point of fatigue and exhaustion. So when he says serve the Lord with gladness, he's saying that elated feeling. That joy of accomplishment that far outweighs any pain, any energy for the output to accomplish the work. Uh, years ago, I mean, it's many years ago, when I was first in the ministry, a man showed me a grandfather clock that he had made out of all wooden parts. He actually logged his work. It took him over 500 hours. And, and he displayed that beautiful clock in his home. And, and, and it was beautiful. I, I mean, I saw it. He was telling me all about it, showed me his books and his log and everything else. He didn't make any money off of it. It wasn't something that he tried to sell or anything of that nature. He didn't get an award for it. For him, there was just a certain great joy and fulfillment in doing it. And, and I admire that. I really do. 
But I don't want him to have more joy in that than I have in doing the work of the Lord. Even if I'm rejected and hated and lied about, if it pleases God to use me, then I have fulfillment. Fulfillment in a call that pleases God to use me in, even though I don't deserve to be used of God in any capacity. 500 hours on a clock. One hour would have been frustrating for me, not 500. 500 hours on a clock. That's amazing to me. Yet, many times, visitation, daily time in the Word of God, witnessing, faithfulness, to God's house is something that frustrates people that may do those things but have no joy in serving God in that capacity. Why? Because it's a lack of love for the one that has saved their soul. First John 2, 15 through 17 gives some insight on that. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You don't get your joy. Don't look for your joy from the world. Don't even look for your joy from other Christians. Look from your joy from your walk with God. You say, that's hard for me, then you're not walking with God. Walk with God. Have you ever heard the noise in your heart of the Lord being pleased by your service for Him because you're doing exactly what He has called you to do? Am I by the knowledge of the Word of God And knowing the person of God. Do I know for sure that I will hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Do I have a song in my lips of praise to him? But more importantly, is there a song in my heart? that gives peace and comfort. So I ask again, do you hear his voice? Do you hear the voice of him that sent you? Do you hear the voice of him that saved you? No, it's not an audible voice speaking. But it's a voice in your heart that if you really get to know God through his word and know his person, That word should be as familiar to your heart as your spouse's voice is to your ear. Transformation in the Christian life is serious business. Unfortunately, I believe that most believers are living in the bare margins of what God actually desires to do in them as well as through them. 
And so, as we reconsider this song, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all your lands. Why? We can't enumerate all that he's done for us. We can't enumerate it. Therefore, serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. Why? Because that is never wasted. Well, it's not accomplishing much. You may not feel like it's accomplishing much. I wonder how Noah felt when only eight people got on the ark. But guess what? You and I are here tonight because he remained faithful. We've heard the testimonies of people got saved after people that had been praying for them and witnessing to them for years, those people died. And they got saved after they were dead. Because of the power of the word of God. So don't quit. Serve the Lord with gladness because it's never vain. That's why you can enter into his courts with thanksgiving. That's why you can enter into his courts with praise and, and to the gates of thanksgiving, should I say, and be thankful unto him. Because he is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth, this right here, endures to all generations. Let's bow our heads, please.